Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CM&F Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info. Hey, everyone. Will Sullivan here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host, Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Dr. Dawn Morton-Riaz, President and CEO of the NCCPA. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be with you today. So excited to be here. Of course. So Dawn, tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare and what led you to the NCCPA. Wow, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, So, you know, without knowing it, my entire career has led me to NCCPA. So I'm a clinical PA, started out in family practice, family medicine, providing health care at a federally qualified community health center in Brooklyn, New York, uh, taking care of kind of the folks that nobody wanted to take care of uh, and providing health care for the homeless. And I've worked in addictive medicine. I've worked in OBGYN, emergency medicine, number of areas, and then started pursuing a career in academe. So I was a clinical coordinator of a PA program and then program director. And uh, all the while volunteering with our professional organizations and being involved in advocacy and a number of, you know, support services for the profession. Went back to school, got a doctorate in education. All of this kind of prepared me for, I thought I was being prepared for the role that I ended up in, in the academic environment doing, and that was being an academic dean. I was content being an academic dean. It was a great career. And then people started to tell me, you know, they're looking for a new CEO at NCCPA, and I think you'd be great. After a few calls and a few emails, I said, well, you know, let me talk to some people, talk to some people. (laughs) Next thing you know, uh, 2014, I was hired to be their first PA to serve uh, in this capacity. So long answer, everything kind of led me to this role. That's awesome. And so, so when you're rolling in as CEO as the first PA, that that's amazing. And, and that's got to be a little different with some of these organizations. And uh, what do you see is kind of challenging the PA profession now? And, you know, where do you see NCCPA helping in that? Well, you know, the profession today is different than it was years ago. Uh, Years ago, PAs worked more in a support service capacity with physicians. Uh, Now PAs are working by far more autonomously. Uh, We have the benefit of technology in our pocket as opposed to, you know, relying on big, you know, uh, what do you call them? textbooks, Cecil's and Harrison's textbooks, so a lot of technology involved. And so it was important for NCCPA to modernize, to move into this century and to be really proactive in looking at our certification, our certification maintenance, and our exams programs to be more reflective of where the profession is and where healthcare is and how PAs actually practice. So we've spent the last several years really modernizing the process and integrating technology uh, to the largest extent possible in all of our certification and certification maintenance initiatives. And I see that continuing to evolve, you know, just-in-time learning, just-in-time assessments. Those are really important elements of uh, certification that NCCPA is proud to be a part of at this point. And so that's really been focus over the last several years. Combine that with um, greater autonomy, uh, modernization of practice laws, title change, all of these things happening in the profession really reflect our maturation as a profession. And so NCCPA wants to play, continue to play an important role in that maturation and that continued advancement. 
How has the pandemic affected the role of PAs in healthcare, and how is the NCCPA supporting PAs during the challenging times? Well, that's a great question. So, you know, all of us were working along, doing our regular thing, uh, you know, March of 2020, and on a dime, the entire profession had was called to respond, and NCCPA was no different. So looking at us from an organization, we immediately went from 100% in-person, on-site organization with exam development, certification maintenance, all of our initiatives taking place in a physical location. And within three days, we transitioned everything to 100% remote. We thought it was going to be for a few weeks, uh, ended up being for two years. Uh, and so that's kind of how we adapted very quickly as an organization. But most importantly, you know, PAs across the country were called to serve. If they were working in specialty practice, they were called to, to provide primary care or general medicine services. Uh, and so we actually participated with, with AAPA and other organizations to have PAs recognized as first responders so that when, um, the, when the assessment, now remember the certification um, or the assessment, sorry, let me pause for a second. The test centers that we rely on to for PAs to acquire their certification were all closed down. And so we had a whole population, thousands of new graduates who were ready to serve, but they weren't able to serve because they weren't initially certified. And so we worked with AAPA and other organizations to get PAs recognized as first responders. So when they opened those test centers, PAs and physicians were the first folks in to be able to sit for their certification examinations and to acquire their certification so they could be licensed and practice and, and actually meet the demands. So that was one of the early things that we needed to do to help the profession and to help PAs actually you know, get on the front line. We were very flexible in our certification maintenance requirements. We gave extensions, we supported people as they were juggling just incredible demands of you know, work demands, family demands, PAs were working in settings where they were actually not only providing, of course, the medical services, but serving as intermediaries between patients and their families, because families couldn't come to hospitals and so forth. So it was a very difficult time. And NCCPA wanted to be, you know, as supportive as possible and not be a barrier to getting PAs out there. And so we really worked hard with the state chapters, state organizations to do what was ever necessary to help PAs, uh, you know, continue to serve and to support them, recognizing that they needed flexibility, that they needed us to not be so rigid with deadlines and timelines that would just add to their burden. And fortunately, we were able with our, you know, technology, we were able to really meet those needs and respond appropriately. So that was the initial change. We also opened up some additional test centers that we wouldn't have ordinarily used, uh, what we call second tier, third tier test centers so that PAs who needed to uh, obtain their initial certification could utilize those test centers. And we've since gone back to our primary test centers, which are really high, high quality, uh, but we wanted to not have certification be a barrier. So we were really flexible in trying to help PAs meet you know, meet their needs and get what they needed to get done so that they could get out there uh, and, and take care of patients who were desperately in need of their care. It's amazing, especially that, you know, from our end of our business, we, we saw that come through and people start asking questions about, you know, hey, how do you get coverage for 
for the liability aspect of right. people, you know, you have the governmental immunity that's kind of going out and different questions on that state by state. And uh, it, was, it was really cool to see the PAs on the forefront pushing out and saying, hey, we have a whole host of thousands of people ready to go. And it really speaks to the dynamic nature of the profession where it comes from historically being able to be ready to act and serve right away. Yes. So, yes. so when you think about that and the transition of the profession, I, I just wonder from not necessarily curriculum, but the topical area and just the mindset, how's that shift in, in the actual you know, you know, the substance of what's being taught and certification process, how, how's that mindset shifted? Because you're going from kind of this collaborative team player, depending upon the supervising physician in most aspects to kind of slowly branching out more and more. And now future facing, you have to prepare for that because you definitely don't want to cut this, uh, you know, connection and then say, Hey, now you're an Island, so to speak with other support and building that uh, out and kind of scaling out access. How, how's that mind shift go? Well, that's, that's another great question. So, you know, the way we develop our certification uh, examination and our recertification examination, uh, because we're an accredited certifying body, we must incorporate practice analysis in all of our exam development. So our exams are built from a blueprint. And that blueprint is derived from a comprehensive assessment survey that we conduct every three to five years where we gather data from the profession. So we assemble teams of PAs to help us develop the survey. Of course, we're relying on our our, our psychometrics teams and our statisticians to help us in the development of those surveys. But we develop every few years a comprehensive assessment we call practice analysis. That practice analysis gathers data from the profession on the things that they're seeing and doing and the criticality of their knowledge base in each of these program areas. So for example, we all ask questions about all of the diseases and disorders that they're seeing in the, in the, on a given day, whether they're functioning autonomously or fu- functioning in support Uh, with a physician or if they're working with other members of the team. So it's a comprehensive data gathering process from the profession. And that practice analysis yields the blueprint. We rely on PAs and physicians to help us in the development of that survey instrument. And then we push that survey out to the entire profession and we get tens of thousands of responses. And we rely on that data to help build that blueprint and that blueprint then builds the we build the exam and and the items from the uh from test items from that blueprint pas are involved with us at every pivotal point so when we have exam questions that have been developed we have teams of pas that come in and work with us to look at those questions to determine are those questions reflective not only of the state of the art of the profession today but are they reflective of where PAs are going in the ways that they're practicing? And so that instrument is a very vi- is a vital component of our exam development process. And it changes every few years as healthcare changes, as PA practice changes, 
as PAs roles change throughout the course of uh, you know their professional careers. And so that way we're able to keep up with changes in the profession. And so some of the questions that we're asking relate to autonomy. Do you manage this alone or do you manage this in partnership with a physician? If we were looking at the answers 20, 30 years ago, there would be a lot of responses that were based on partnership and close collaboration, if not supervision with physicians. When you look at those findings now, there's greater distance between, you know, the PA and the physician in terms of supervision, collaboration, et cetera. And that reflects the change in the profession. And so that's how we keep up with where we're going, where we are right now, and most importantly, where we're going. Uh, And we conduct that survey, that assessment every three to five years. That's really amazing and super interesting, Dawn. And, you know, to your point about how much the PA profession has evolved over the years and how much healthcare has changed and the challenges that come with the healthcare industry today, what advice do you have for current and aspiring PAs? This is a wonderful profession. And I it's not a perfect profession, but it's a wonderful profession. And so when I speak with young PAs, PA students, and those who are, who are recent graduates, because I loved, you know, my, my assistant criticizes me. She says, you never say no when you're asked to talk to young people, students, and new graduates. And I never say no, because I want them to be encouraged and inspired, because this is a great profession. This profession provides the opportunity to to work in every setting, every discipline, in if you want to work full-time, part-time, you want high pace, fast pace, emergency medicine, you want a little slower pace, you can work in almost any discipline. And that flexibility across disciplines and settings is so unique to our profession. And so when I speak with young PAs, new PAs, I encourage them early in their career to solidify their core medical knowledge base. Don't specialize too, too early. And even if you work in a specialty, continue to read and study across the disciplines and across the uh, areas of medicine and surgery so that if you're you're called to serve in another area, you're well equipped to do so. And that we saw that happen every day uh, during the pandemic where PAs were called to fill in gaps in other uh, disciplines and other settings. And so I encourage PAs to really stay Uh, up to date on their core medical knowledge, in addition to their specialty or their particular practice area. When we look at the profession, it's changed. PAs originally worked in family medicine and and primary care, but now we're seeing PAs work, 70% are working in specialty practice, but they still enjoy that flexibility to move across disciplines. And when we look at NCCBA data, we have a wealth of data because we're the certifying body and, and everybody maintains their certification. When we look at the data, PAs change disciplines three to five times throughout the course of their careers. And so while, yes, they may stay for a long period in one discipline, early in their career, and then we see it again later in their career, they focus in, uh, you know, they, they move around rather to different to different settings and disciplines. So maintaining that core medical knowledge is really, really important. And so I encourage PAs to do that. This way you're ready for everything when you're called to serve and you're ready to uh, fill those gaps. That's, that's really cool. Do, do you have any insight into why they shift? I mean, earlier on, it, it's good because you get a broader knowledge and and that's kind of the basis of the profession where it stems from, but then also towards the end, like you're mentioning, is there, is there any particular rationale for that happening? 
what we see is that people oftentimes, if they've worked in a very um, high-paced, demanding, long-hour discipline, where it's really early mornings, on their feet, running around, a lot of uh, early hospital requirements. As their lifestyles change, when they're having families, when they have school-age kids, uh, and then again when they're uh, closer to slowing down towards the end of their careers, they would they like a different you know a different setting, a different pace, a different requirement uh, in terms of time and, and energy, etc. And so we see those patterns shift throughout the course of of PA's careers. Uh, some, of course, stay focused in one discipline, and that's where they are their you know entire career. But many, many, many move across disciplines as their lifestyle changes, you know, impact them. Also, you know, as PAs move from one location to another, they may be working as a pediatric PA in one community, but a spouse has been deployed to another area or they need to move or they decide to move. And there are no jobs for pediatric PAs. Using that as an example, in that community, there may be a job for a family practice PA in that community. And so lifestyle changes impact the decisions that people make in terms of uh, what practice discipline they'll work in. And again, that is so unique to our profession. Our core medical knowledge, generalist knowledge in our educational process, as well as our certification and maintenance of certification initiatives all support that generalist nature and enable us to, uh, you know, to maintain that flexibility. Understandably, PAs, you know, continue their their learning in their discipline by maintaining their certification with CME, and so they continue to keep up to date on new trends and new um, innovations in their practice discipline. But because they sit for that recertification exam every 10 years, they maintain a core medical knowledge base as well. That's really amazing and definitely makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about what you think the future of the NCCPA looks like. One of my favorite questions. So I I like to go back a little bit to just talk about the modernization of the recertification exam that we embarked on several years ago. Over the last five, seven years, we've been working diligently to create a recertification examination that is more responsive and reflective of how PAs practice. So we launched in January what we call PANRI LA, which is a PANRI longitudinal assessment, enables PAs to answer their exam questions on their device in real time, rather than go to a test center, which is really how we practice. We are looking things up all the time on our phones. And so we developed this entire process where PAs can sit for this recertification examination over time where they get immediate feedback. They know if the answers were correct or incorrect. They get explanations uh, regarding their responses. And it's really a learning experience as well as an assessment experience. And so I envision that over the next several years, we'll continue to refine that process and integrate that process into all aspects of our assessments and continue to rely on technology so that certification, certification maintenance is reflective of real-time practice as opposed to a moment-in-time kind of assessment where you have to stop what you're doing, go somewhere else, do something, and be stressed maybe in the process, um, 
you know, and then come back to work. We're hoping to continue to use technology to help make this a very fluid, interactive process. And in doing so, lighten the burden and the perceived stress associated with taking an assessment. And so that's one of the things that we're working on. And technology plays an important uh, part in that area. We're also working on uh, what we call CAQs, which are certificate of, Certificates of Added Qualifications. And those are documentation experiences where PAs are, who are working in certain disciplines can acquire an additional credential in that practice discipline. And so we are continually improving and modernizing that process as well. And we have some more work to do to incorporate the technology that we have used in Panry LA to be applied to that process as well. So that's something else that we're working on. Um, the other thing is to really just be a continued support and advocate for the profession by making available the rich data source that we have about how PAs are practicing, where they're practicing. So when they're called to, to explain the profession or to inform others about the role of PAs and the contribution that PAs are making in, uh, in clinical practice, they can rely on data from AAPA, but they can also rely on data from NCCPA to help support that. So we see ourselves as a real advocate for the profession, providing those uh, objective findings for PAs and, and for policymakers and legislators and others who are interested in learning more about how PAs are practicing. So those are just some of the things that we're working on. And just adjusting to the post-COVID world, the shift in workplaces and the shift in how people work. You know, everybody used to work in an office. Now we work in a hybrid format, integrate technology. So those adjustments are, are you know, things that we're coping with at NCCPA as well. Uh, sh you know, shifts in employment rates and everything. And staying up to date in that and still maintaining our high quality is something that we're really, really proud of. It's amazing. No, it, you're really staying ahead of the curve and, and what's needed. And it's, it's, uh, it's well known based on the, the amount of, I wouldn't say publicity, but just wonderful feedback throughout the country about PAs who didn't know about them or knew about them, but they didn't know how critical they were to the entire system for healthcare, right. for people, for patients nationally. And it's, you know, a lot of these changes in each of the states and federally are a demonstration of a lot of the great work you've done, APA yep. done, each of the state lobbying efforts as well. So it's just wonderful work and, and thank you so much for it. No, this is, like I said at the beginning, this is what I've been called to do. <laughs> and I'm fortunate and grateful for the opportunity to bring to bring together all of my skills and all of my experiences, but also to work with teams of really smart, passionate people who love this profession as much as I do. So we're based in Johns Creek, Georgia. There are 100 staff members, and they are not PAs. Only three PAs work uh, with NCCPA or for NCCPA. But they love this profession as much as I do. And so they bring their whole self to this work and are strong advocates for the profession. So that's how we function internally. Uh, but also we rely on hundreds of PAs to be part of our exam development teams, to be part of our standard setting teams. And all of the work that we do in exam development and certification maintenance relies on PA input. So we have teams of volunteers 
who work with us to do what we do. And I, you know, always give a shout out to them because they come out of their day-to-day experiences and their workplaces and family lives to volunteer and to work with us uh, in developing because they believe in certification and are proud of the PAC credential that we all carry uh, and they're willing to work with us. And so we don't, we're not, a, you know, doing this all alone. We also have a very supportive board of directors that consists of 10 PAs, five physicians, and two public members. And those board members are very strong and passionate about the profession. And so they, from a strategic direction perspective, help inspire us and keep us you know, working and moving forward. So it takes a, it takes a village, as they say about raising kids takes a village to do the work that we do. Uh, and so I would never want anyone to think that it's just me alone. I, I have a whole team <laughs> behind me and beside me that helped me get this done. And we're incredibly pl- proud of what we've been able to accomplish over these le- last few years, especially during the pandemic, and look forward to continuing to evolve and grow and be nimble. Uh, I think that's one of the successes or one of the requirements rather for successful companies to be able to take in information, see what's going on in the world, pick through it and apply what makes sense and then be able to move. We can't sit still and just do what we've always done. Uh, We'll be outdated immediately. So staying ahead of the curve is really important to us. Absolutely. And we appreciate the work that you're doing, Dawn, the work of your team, super admirable. And we're really excited that you're supporting the PA profession as much as you are. So um, you know, thank you again so much for joining us today. And we really appreciate your story. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. As you could tell, I love what I do and I love talking about it. So thank you so much. Thanks so much. And that's another episode. Let's cover that.